0: Hi, my name is Frankie. Thank you for listening to my mom. I never listen.
1: Well, I have to admit, nothing but net is going to have a special guest today. And I have to tell you, honestly, I'm a little bit nervous because I'm going to get to spend some time with Sister Jean from Loyola University. Everyone recognizes her celebrity from the March 2018 run that Loyola made into the men's final four. Sister Jean checking in at 102 years of age today. Sister Jean, how are you doing? Oh, I think I'm
0: doing well. It all depends on how we look at what one thinks about oneself, even though I can't get around and walk and run and do stuff like that. I, I still have a good time and meet people and just kind of use my wheelchair as though I'm on a, a merry-go-round or something sometimes. But it's, it's being with people is what I love the best, and being with people is what I
1: really love. That's what I was going to ask you, Sister Jean. Your definition of fun at 102 years of age is what?
0: Oh, I just to enjoy people. That's that's what I like to do. When the students aren't here, it's, it's a totally different atmosphere. And I miss them a lot during COVID time. And there's still COVID time, but we're online for two weeks, and then we're going to go in person. And, but you'd be amazed how many students are here. We encourage the resident students to come in because this is more conducive to learning than their homes when their siblings are running around while they're trying to listen to their instructor uh, teach them a course. And so we just have all the facilities open because we have so many here and that's great. And then even some of the students who live in apartments Come here too because they're sometimes four or five within in an apartment, and it gets distracting. So I miss them, but now I see them, and they know that they can pop in and say, "Hi, Sister Jean," or "I just came to say Happy New Year to you." Because we just I just got here, and my door, my office door, opens right into the student center. So I have I have the prime property of the university. Nobody else has a spot like this where students pop in, faculty pop in when they're crossing from one building to another. Um, it's it's just, I, I think that's fun. And when I wake up in the morning, I, I say to myself, first of all, what day is it? Because the days sort of begin to melt together. And then I say, oh, this is what I have to do today. And I I'm, I'm just have to is a pleasure for me.
1: Sister Jean, I say the same thing when I wake up in the morning because basketball consumes my entire life right now outside of my family. And I love hoops and I know you do too. What is your favorite thing about the game of basketball?
0: Of course when we win. Get that big W, That, that that's the favorite part. And when I say that I say it with the fans all the time, and um, at the end I always say, "Be sure, uh, oh God, that as we get closer to the final buzzer, that the scoreboard indicates the big W for Loyola." And of course, the opponents hear that too. And one time, a woman from uh, a previous uh, conference said to me, "Why you always just pray for?" Oh um, Loyola to win and I said well if you wore mar- maroon and gold you would do the same thing but the, the people do like the prayer the students uh go crazy after the prayer uh, because at the end of it I always say you know God amen and God bless you and go ramblers and then they clap and everything else and our ad said, Steve Watson said to me, Sister Jean, I never heard anybody clap for a prayer until I came to Loyola, and I said, Well, that's just the way they react. It's the go ramblers that makes them that way. So, um, but having uh, the students are what keep me young. If you consider, if you consider me young, and I, I, I learned a lot from them about uh, their social history, and. Uh, it's it's just fun to listen to them it's fun to hear their dreams and I say to them when they come in and say tell me some big idea that they have I said oh just go for it if you don't follow your dream you're never going to be happy it might be that it doesn't work for you and so that's not failure it's just that something else has been planned for you so don't let those dreams just, and don't let anybody t- take your dream away from you. And some of them are, are just, I had a freshman, and if I talk too much, just stop me, Debbie, and say, No, well, you're,
1: you're fine, fine, Sister Jean, I'm enjoying this.
0: And so a freshman came in to me after having been here a first week in the fall, and we started talking, and I said, Oh, um, How are your classes? Oh, they're so good. My teachers are so good, Sister Jean. And I said, well, have you decided on the major? Oh, she said, yes, um, biochemistry. And I said, oh, what, what are you going to do with that? And she says, well, I want to become a researcher. And she turned to me very seriously and she said, Sister Jean, don't you know that Loyola has the best biochem PhD program in the country? And I said, well, yes, I do know that. And she said, that's why I came here, because I'm going to go right straight through to my PhD. And I thought, 18 years old, good for you. I said, go for it. I want to know how you do along the way. So they have dreams.
1: What were your dreams when you were a little girl growing up?
0: Oh, well, I wanted to be a sister When, when I was eight years old. We had a a wonderful teacher. She was brand new to our class, I discovered later. And she told us that we were not too young to be thinking about what we should do when we grew up. And so I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And then I thought to myself, well, I can be a teacher and a sister, do the same thing. And so I consider that my vocation. My calling to god when i was in third grade and eight years old and i never turned back from that at all when i was very young i talked a lot about it but you know how as you get older and start making your plans you don't say much because you're afraid you won't be invited to the social stuff and all that so you kind of keep quiet about it but i entered the congregation the sisters of charity the blessed Virgin Mary in 1937, right after I graduated from high school and I never turned back.
1: You were born in 1919 and you started out talking, about, you know, the, the issues that we have with some students not being able to return to campus because of the state of affairs that our country is in and our world is in with COVID. But you have witnessed and experienced many different cycles in our history of our country. What do you think has been maybe the most challenging part of your lifetime uh, and where our, our world is? Or is COVID the hardest thing that, that we've had to go through? What do you think?
0: Well, yes, I I was born just as the flu epidemic was ending. and But I heard my family talk about it. And nobody died from our family. But and, uh, what happened in San Francisco, where I grew up, was that they closed schools immediately, they told me. And then the sisters were asked to go to the people who lived in their parish and in their district to help take care of them because there wasn't enough room in the hospitals for for all these people. And so that's, that's what, what happened uh where they gave service and the city couldn't pay for them pay them for that but they were willing to do it but the city gave them the gift of free car fare all for the rest of their life of san francisco buses and so forth and that was a great gift to all the sisters and all you had to do was just walk on the streetcar, and you could do that. And I used to do that when I went home to visit my family. I'd go to San Francisco. they lived in Marin County at that time. And I um would go to San Francisco to visit friends or do whatever. And um I'd just get on the streetcar and that that you'd have to pay. And they still do that. They have some kind of a little ticket they show that they're religious. And so that was a really good gift. The the one the first epidemic. well, I guess it was a epidemic was polio, and then i, I remembered especially because uh at the zoo fleshhacker Zoo, there was a huge um swimming pool, and you had to pay a nickel to go to swimming there, and the place in the summer was just absolutely crowded, and then then they had to close the pool because they said that's where the place where children would get polio the most. I didn't get polio, nor did my brothers, but we had friends who did, and they they really suffered. And um, until we got uh, saw got the vaccine, I I think when I went to compare COVID and polio, or or COVID and measles, because measles measles wasn't I don't think considered a, an epidemic, but Everybody got it. Everybody got it in first grade, kindergarten or whatever. But I don't recall anybody uh, saying, well, I don't want to be vaccinated. It, to me, this is an, a new thing. Our parents were happy to take us to be vaccinated. And we were we were happy to go. When I was vaccinated for measles, I remember we had to get two shots, I think. I got so sick with the first one. And right there, that they were ready for me for the second one, and but I I I wanted to get that because I didn't want to get measles, or I wanted to be better at you know immune from them, and so that was bad. But society has changed so where um, some parents think they know everything about scientific findings and research and. Uh, uh, just about people's behavior and everything but they forget about their own behavior when they deny their children to have the vaccination and I think that's a disservice not only to their children but it's a disservice to everybody because if you read the statistic you see how this virus keeps multiplying when we don't have vaccinations and right now everything we hear on the news is that the people in the hospitals are ones who haven't had vaccination. So there must be something good about it. Um,
1: I think there's a lot of good with it, Sister Jean. I actually lost my brother-in-law to COVID, my sister and three kids, two in college, one in elementary school. And I don't understand why people don't get vaccinated either. Yeah, um, when you when it's personally affected you, and it's personally affected our family. Oh, my brother-in-law was forty-eight years old.
0: It's, it, that that is so so sad, and I offer my condolences to you and to your sister and and those little kids because it's no matter how old they are, it affects them, their lives in some way, and and your sisters too. And as you say. The whole family and other families of this are the same way and even if some of the um, relatives have just been ill some of them have been in hospitals for a long time and it, it really is it sad situation and to say that it's a, a political thing <laughs> it's not political the president wants everybody to stay well and not to be passing this around and this omicron is just flying around so if it if there's another variant it might be even more vicious than this one
1: well i hope anyone that's listening to our podcast with you will take your advice and get vaccinated if they are not already vaccinated oh I um, hope so. let's pray for that for sure We could certainly use some divine intervention from you, Sister Jean, on that issue in our country.
0: Thank you. Oh, I'll do that. I'll do that.
1: Uh, I wanted to ask you about hoops. I know how much you love it. I I know you're the chaplain for the men's team. Uh, You became an instant celebrity in 2018 when the men went to the Final Four and there's so much written about you and, and so much celebrity around you. And you even have your own bobblehead. It's amazing. And here you are at 102 years old. And, and I get to have this incredible conversation with you. I'm so inspired by where you came from and how you came about being Sister Jean. And it all started, as you mentioned, with your desire to, to be a sister, but also your desire to be a teacher. The role of teacher in developing all of the things that you've been able to accomplish, the, the basis of that, how important has that been? And, and you, the heart of a teacher is always something to me that is such an um, important thing in our society. What, what do you think about the role of your role as a teacher and what you've been able to do on Loyola's campus?
0: Well, a lot of what I started in my young life, I was taught for 20 years in the elementary school in uh, the Los Angeles area. And then I came to Mundelein College, Mundelein affiliated with Loyola in 1991. So my basic teaching techniques and so forth were started very, a long time before I came to Loyola. And now I'm at Loyola, I've finished 30 years here. So it, it just seems as though I go 20, 30, 30. And I don't know how many more that that'll be. But um, it's I think of teaching, one has to love to do that. In fact, everybody should love to go to his or her job in the morning I, I, or whatever time they have to report to work. And when students say to me, oh, I hate my job, I said, quit it because you're a pain to everybody else, including yourself. So, just go some other place and do something else. But uh, you have to have the heart to be a teacher, and you have to love what you're doing. And the children have to be able to respond to you. And it's amazing how many techniques you can use in the university status that you used in the elementary school. It, I wouldn't tell I wouldn't tell the students that, but that's it, the techniques are the same, and you you have to keep them happy. And you have to know when when they're not responding and when they do. And that that's what life is all about, responding to other people and uh, reaching out to other people and being a person for others. And that's what St. Ignatius teaches. And that's one of the uh, core values we have at Loyola is being a, per, a person for others. And I should say all Jesuit institutions, not just Loyola but that's that's the way I see the students reacting to, and um they they are very value oriented, and um they talk about that when they go for a job interview, and uh, I give you one more story, and I have loads of stories, so I keep I met this young woman on the bus one day on the Saturday morning at about seven o'clock, and I said. Joy, what are you doing on the bus so early going downtown? And she said, I'm going for a job interview, Sister Jean. And I said, oh, that's great. I'm happy for you. And She said, I'm so scared. And I said, no, don't be scared. Just be yourself when you go. And I said, if there's a lag in the conversation, um, just ask them if they would explain their values to you. She came in to me on Monday morning. Sister Jean, she said there was a lag in the conversation. And she said, I asked about their values. And she said, nobody could talk about them. And I said, well, are you going to take the job? And she said, yes, because I want to see if they have values or not. So she took the job. She stayed for three months. And she said, Sister Jean, I'm going to leave that uh, place because I found out they really don't have values. So I thought to myself, well, that was a good lesson for her to learn. So she got another job right away. But it values me a lot to our students. And um, we have people who teach uh, ethics in their philosophy courses and in other courses too. And uh, students ask the right questions in order to get prepared to do what they're going to do, no matter what, in the business world. So teaching is really a a very important part of the the lives of the students, too, because I said to somebody in authority the other day, you know what? I said, somebody should be telling the faculty what a good job they're doing in getting these students back to their social uh, life. And he said, what do you mean, Sister Jean? And I said, well, they're giving them a lot of projects to do. And when they're working on projects and they're doing this right in the student center, I can see and hear them all the time. When they're doing these projects, they're making friends because of the way the faculty do this project idea. And this is what this outside endowment center is all about. It's sharing your information with your friends and making new friends. And that's what I like to talk about in. When I talk about COVID and how the students are coming back, we know that some have very serious problems after this length of time that they were away from all their social life. But we have thousands who are doing fine. So I want to talk about the thousands who are doing fine and adjusting to this the best way they can by using our wellness center if they feel that they need really professional of help or the wellness center feels that they need more help than they're giving them, we don't let them go unnoticed and they do get help. The wellness center is very busy, but the faculty are doing a great job, I think, in adjusting their courses to get them into social groups and do um, projects. So that's part of knowing what to teach, when to teach it. And maybe they don't do that. Maybe they've never done that with their classes before, but they're doing it now. And that's part of this whole online online learning is that they have to have contact with some human beings. It, it can't be just all computer stuff or computer
1: learning. Sister Jean, you have already provided us so much advice and counsel uh, on values and things that I can see are so important to you. I'm trying to picture the Sister Jean, I don't know, 80 years ago, when you may have been wearing the habit and the stereotypical look of a nun. Um, I, I grew up Catholic and, um, myself. And so my husband Catholic. We are a Catholic family with our three boys. And remembering some of the stereotypical nuns that, that I recall, uh and they were tough and some of them were mean and some of them were just really hard on us but i can't see any of that in you but there's none of that in there's none, <laughs> none of
0: that because i i i made friends with the with my the children i taught in elementary school to begin with and when they would come into my classroom um i knew a lot of them already because, and for several years we had um for six years, we had a very wonderful principal who started um a departmental teaching, so that I taught math in fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then somebody else came in my room and taught uh English or whatever, and the children didn't change to rooms we this the sisters changed to different rooms and we did this from third to eighth grade. And so if they when they got to me in eighth grade as a as a teacher, they could never say, Oh, I never learned that in the class I had before. Because I said, I'm the one who taught the class before and I know that I taught that. So you know, get it out of your head and get it into your head, whatever way you have to do but um that that was a big help for me to know everybody the other thing is that in two schools in which I uh in which I taught I started uh, sports programs because the pastor said I I could they didn't have any sports program so I was involved with uh, grades like 4 to 8 because we had little boys and big boys and little girls and big girls teams and so, I got to know a lot of the students and could call them by name and I think it's very important to be able to call them by name. Everybody likes that, and the same I do the same thing in the university is when I was teaching, which I did for six years when I first came here and so Mundelein, and then um I went into administration, but then I went into academic advising when I came over. Loyola so it was a it's it's fun to learn their names and then see them and say oh good morning Jim or good morning Kyle good morning Ryan and that that's a way of communicating with them and it was interesting to me when these new students came these freshmen who had never been in a real class before a college class sophomores we spent maybe a semester in a college course that we have a little hand wave when they come in. They just wave their hands at me and they say, morning, Sister Morning, sister Jean. And it's just fun, but the, the hands go. And we never had hands before, but we are now. So we're getting uh, a, a whole new generation of saying good morning. But when I, I come in in the morning and there's a special ramp, I come over in the corridor, and I always start saying good morning to them and waving the same thing they do, because that's most of the young people here are in uh, freshmen and sophomores and juniors, because of juniors and seniors and a lot of sophomores live off campus. And I see them too when they come through for classes. And so it's, it's just it's being yourself. And I have to say that my Mom and dad had a lot to do with that. And I had two brothers and we were always, you know, doing fun things together or doing with the neighbors and not being shy. Although I consider myself very shy when I was very young. But then I I guess I grew out of it. And 2018 was the best thing that happened. And when um, Bill Behrens came and told me that, uh, a reporter wanted to see me in the, you know, in in the lobby. Then uh, Ryan and Bill were there, and I felt very comfortable. And the next morning, when I woke up, I thought, "This isn't a dream. This is for real. Get with it, girl." So I just thought I better do what i was supposed to do. And then they told me I was going to have a conference, a press conference, and. I really didn't pay much attention to what the conference was going to be. I thought one or two people like you would just come in and ask me questions and stuff. And I got into this room just filled with people, and the um, uh, facilitator, the name was Michael. And he said, "Sister Jean, you have you have more reporters here than, uh, than Tom Brady had." So. He, he said, hey, you think we can do this? And I said, sure, we can do it. And so we did it. And it Sister
1: just, Jean, I know. I'm sorry?
0: No, I'm just going to say it was a big thrill to be part of 2018.
1: It was a big thrill to watch and listen to the story of Loyola. It is such a great Cinderella story about that team. But you've been following that team for a long time. I know you know the names of the players. Before we talk a little hoops, I want to know if you know the names of the referees.
0: Oh, no, I don't know their names. <laughs> I don't know who their names are, but, but I know who they are. And sometimes they ask me to go into the, their locker room and pray with them before a game. And, of course, before the games when I'm praying with the fans, I always say, oh, God, please help the referees um, call the plays with equity. And I used to tell tell them that, you know, I asked, used to ask them as they came in, well, how's your eyesight tonight? And they'd say, it's, we're doing fine, sister Jean. But I told them that I think they're going to need four on the court pretty soon because they're all getting older too. And these, these young men are running up and down the court faster than they ever did before. So it's a, it's a real, it's a real chore for them. And the, the perspiration from the team and the refs, it's just the floor wipers are out there, even when the the young men are running up and down the court. And so they're all playing harder and running faster and playing faster. And they're playing more like uh, in the 60s. And actually now they're going to shorter shorts and they're they're getting to look more like them than they than they did for a long time, but uh, the the refs, I I know they have a hard job, and it, it's it's tough. It's it's really a tough game, and uh, when they have to go and look at it, review a play, you know you could drop a pin in the in the arenas that everything is so quiet, waiting for the decision. And of course, you know that one side's going to be disappointed, one side's not. So you don't know which one you are until the referee says it, then you have to accept it. But we don't have too many of those. But when we had to go into double overtime not too long ago, I didn't know how long the team could last or how long the refs could last because if we went into triple, I did not know how many we would do because it was just so close. But double double is enough. <laughs>
1: When you go into the locker room to pray with the refs, do you end your prayer the way you end it with the fans? Go Ramblers.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I let them know that I want to win. <laughs> that we want to win.
1: Uh, I want to ask you about servant leadership. We hear that spoken a lot. Sometimes it could sound like a cliche. What does that mean to you?
0: Well, it means, it means that someone is really... Like for example, we have some fellows on the court, like that. Is you talking? You're talking about a team, or you're talking about other no.
1: people? Team. No, I'm yeah. talking about basketball and how a servant leader uh, manifests itself on the floor with players and teams, and what you've witnessed and experienced at Loyola.
0: Yeah, well, there's some people are are born leaders, and some people are learn to be leaders, and. We have we've had young men on our team for years now who are just they're not necessarily the captain. Sometimes they are, but they are leaders. And I always consider them servant uh, servant leaders, too, because they're, they love their school. It's, they're not working for the almighty dollar. They're working for their school and they give their whole hearts and their whole bodies into a game and last year when uh, we had Cameron Kretwig on our team you could even hear him talking to the team while he was playing and being so active himself but he was giving directions on the court and Lucas Williamson is doing the same thing this year and some of the others are when he's not on the court they're picking it up but I I think it's because... They, they, first of all, they want to win. The team on the court this year want to go to the NCAA so badly that um, it's it's fun to watch them when they're behind how they want to come forward and and beat the beat the team. And it isn't that they're against the team, but they just want to go to the NCAA. And about the only way you get there when you're on uh, like on the Valley team is to win your conference. So that that's another hurdle we have to um, go through is play the conference off. And the, but they, then but last year we had two from the Valley. And I think that was good because Drake came to. to that's right. It's just it's wonderful. When we can have two because then it takes the pressure off one team. But this whole servant leadership is helping other people, sharing the ball. And our, our young men share the ball very well. They have teamwork, and they don't care who makes the basket as long as it goes through the net. And then we get the points. That's what's important. um, Well, they're
1: they're doing a good job. They're fourteen and two, and five and zero in the league right now. They've won ten in a row, and Drew Valentine in his first year is doing a heck of a job, wouldn't you say, Sister? How would you uh, rate how Drew is doing as a first year head coach at Loyola?
0: He's he's doing well. He's doing he's doing great, and we are delighted that he was chosen to be the coach because it saved one. It saves a team from getting used to a new coach, and it takes about two years to four to get your own team uh, where you want them. But Drew had already helped Porter a great deal in preparing this team. So, and the students like him. That's very important, and um, I think he had, had, has good advice from his assistants. And I say to the fellas on the bench, you look when you're on the bench, you see the team as a team, as the players. Drew and the coaches look at it from a coach's viewpoint. If you have anything to say about how the team could do something differently or how Drew could improve the people he puts in there, just tell him. He'll accept that. So I don't know whether they're doing that or not, but anyhow, Drew is, knows when to put somebody in and when to take somebody out, and which is the best match. And that forces the opponent sometimes to put somebody in and take somebody out too, because it gets to be a strategy game at the end. And yet you have to know who makes free throws and who doesn't, who fouls and who doesn't. and it isn't always your best player who should be doing that. It should be somebody else who has fouls to give. And the coach, the coach knows. The coaches know. And I, I'm, as I observe Drew, he's he's taking um, advice from his his uh, colleagues. Besides that, um, after every game, I send Drew uh, an email. Say either congratulations or really, I'm sorry for the loss. now I've only had to do that twice this season. I, I, uh, but um, but I said in the, my email to him after the win the other night, I said Saturday's going to be very hard. We better be ready for those bears. So we uh, Missouri State coming in town, right? Missouri State, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just below us. They they're not number two. But yes, they are number two now. I think not. Uh, I think uh, Northern Iowa dropped down But some some have played more games than we have. We've only played five. Some schools have played seven. But we had a couple of schools with whom we have to reschedule because they had COVID, and that uh, rescheduling
1: is tough. Sister Jean, uh, have you? spoken to Porter Moser since he's gone to Oklahoma I know you had a great relationship with Porter how did he tell you he was taking another job and leaving Loyola
0: well yeah i i learned a long time ago that if you're offered a position that might not open up for you for a while somebody who has influence or has a connection as i had with Porter you have to say you have to just tell him to discern what what is right for him, for his team, for Loyola, for his family. He has to take all those things and he has to do a little list, And this is good. This is not good, and so forth. So I don't know whether he did that or not, but that's part of it. And when he told me, I said, Porter, if you feel if you feel called to Oklahoma, and you you need to go. If you could recall in 2018, after that, and, well, two years or one year after that, St. John's wanted him, but he knew he didn't belong there, and that's a special gift to know if you belong there or not. And someone wrote an article in the Sun Times the other day, which was just really a great article, um, Porter saying that he. He hasn't really left Loyola. He's brought a lot of it along with him to uh, Oklahoma, and they are doing very well. Have I talked to him since? Yes, he called me shortly after he was there. I've called him. I did. I called him for the New Year too, but uh, he was probably doing something. But I know he must have done tried to discern. He's highly Jesuit educated, so that discernment is part of. The process of mm-hmm. when you want to make a decision, and so I—I'm sure he did that. His children, uh, his daughters on the basketball team down there. His son is on the basketball team, and the other two boys are in the elementary school yet. They—they they, when they t- he told them that he had chosen. They uh, would cho- choose that school they said go for it whatever you want dad is fine and they did the same thing at St. John's when he told me he was going there so it was a great it corner's a great loss but we thank him for having helped Drew get where he is and to go on and um, we'll go Drew has to be himself and he is himself on the court And he does some of the things traditionally, and that's fine. That's like at the end of a game, he and the team go around the whole arena and thank the fans for coming. And the fans love that. They love that. Mm
1: -hmm. So. Gene, we—I mean, I—I I love you. I think you are absolutely amazing. I—I uh, I can see why a lot of students seek counsel from you. I'm also thinking that some of them probably want to make their confession while they're spending time with you. Well,
0: I—I I, I, one time I had a young man. who was not an athlete, but I was at the downtown campus for a couple of years, and he came into me, and he was starting to talk to me. You want to hear this story? Sure. You want to hear this story? Well, anyhow, yeah. he uh, he started to talk to me, and I said, oh, uh, you you need to be talking to a Jesuit. And he said, Sister Jean, aren't you a Jesuit? And I said, no, I'm a Sister of Charity, the Blessed Virgin Mary. But I said, I know a Jesuit who could help you. And he said, really? And I said, yes. So I called the, a priest from uh, IPS, Father Krupa and I said, uh, do you think you could see um, a student right now? And he said to me, is this an emergency? And I said, well, yes it is. Uh huh. So we it was a very cold winter day and so I put my uh, coat on and we started down the street because we had to go to another building and I said to this young man I said, I'm going to go walk with you because you don't even know where the building is, and um, you don't know where his office is. So I'd like to walk with you. So we starting down the street, and um, as we go down, the, as we go down, the, get down the street, um, the um, uh, he stopped by the little market and he said, "I haven't had lunch. Could I pick up something there, Sister Jean?" And I said, "Oh, sure." And so I. He said, oh, you're coming in with me? And I said, I'm not going to stand out in the cold. Of course, I I was afraid he'd go out the back door. So that was why I went in with him, really. So we get over to uh, the Lewis Towers. We met Father. He was waiting for us. And then after he finished his conference with this young man, he called me and he said, I can't believe you walked over here with him. And I said, you know what? I was... uh, I was afraid he, he would say he couldn't find you, and I just wanted to be sure he thought to you because I know he needed you. So he took care of this young man for until he didn't need him anymore. And that's, that's why when you said make confession, that's what he was almost doing, and I, I didn't want to get into that.
1: Well, Sister Jean, I, I, I'm sure you've been able to pass along special dispensation to certain referees and certain visiting coaches and teams as they've come into Loyola. And, and I, I'm just I'm just so amazed at, at who you are and what you stand for and how well you celebrate being around the people at Loyola and how lucky they are to be. Thank you
0: so much, Debbie. People are lucky to have you too. Because you you do a great job. Ryan tells me you do a great job, and thank you. Hey, it's it's meeting. It's you're facing the public all the time, and thousands of people, and so you're influencing them some way or the other. When people say they saw you on your channel, well, you know that that's a real compliment that they you know keep turning to the channels they like, and just just keep doing it.
1: Well, you have a lot of fans. I've hoped you—you maybe helped me get a few more.
0: <laughs> so, Are thank
1: you. you so much.